Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abuel Samad. So, Sam, in between shows and congresses and things, not Congress, Congress, SAE Congress, uh, <laughs> and events, uh, we're going to do a podcast. Yep, that's right. Uh, so, we'll jump right in. We're going to talk about what we're driving. You've had a couple of cars this week uh, because you've been jet setting here and there. So, uh, why don't you start us off? Yeah. So, um, actually, I'll, I'll start with the one I was driving when I was out in California for the um, NVIDIA GPU Technology Conference, uh, which was the Hyundai Ionic Electric. Um, and, uh, you know, if you, you've driven the, the Ionic Hybrid and, right. you know, this is this is basically the same car. You know, the, the Ionic and the uh, the Kia Niro are, you know, Hyundai Motor Group's first stab at doing a dedicated electrified uh, propulsion electrified vehicle platform you know so they're both on both of those cars are on the same uh, same platform and they're both available in uh, regular non-plug-in hybrid uh, plug-in hybrid and uh, battery electric versions so they um, the Nero electric will be coming a little bit later this year they showed it at, the, at CES this year but the uh, the, the ionic electric uh, was the first is uh, Hyundai's first electric vehicle, battery electric vehicle, they're selling in uh, in North America, and um, it's you know it's it's really good. You know one one of the interesting things about it, you know, is its battery is a little bit smaller than a lot of the the latest batch of EVs. Uh, it's only twenty seven kilowatt hours, but um, Hyundai put a lot of effort into really making this thing as efficient as possible, uh, and it, you know, even though it's 27 kilowatt hours, it got it's got a EPA range rating of 124 miles, uh, you know, which is quite a bit better than you know, for example, the uh, the Nissan Leaf when the Leaf first came out, it came out with a 24 kilowatt hour battery right. and only had I think 74 miles of range. And you know, driving this thing for a few days when I was in California, uh, it was. It was really impressive. I mean, it, it averaged almost five miles per kilowatt hour 
um, which is really good. I mean, most most cars, you know, uh, if you're you know if you're really you know fairly gentle with them, they will you know you can get you know a little over four. Uh, but this thing was getting about five miles per kilowatt hour, and it did great. Uh, you know, and it, and it drives like any other Ionic except quieter. Uh, and you know, re- really don't you know? Aside from the ultimate range, you know, depending on what your your usage pattern is, um, you know, it's it's a it's a great option, and it's also really affordable. Uh, like the base price starts at you know only twenty nine thousand dollars, you know, and then if you get the uh, uh, the seventy five hundred dollar federal tax credit, you know, that gets you down to twenty two, and if you're in California, you can get another twenty five hundred bucks, so you're down to twenty grand, you know, which is about the going rate for, or actually, it's on the low end, you know, of most modern compact cars. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it's it's in that place where. I think the the leaf is as well as it becomes a surprisingly affordable electric option. Yeah, you know, and like I said, you know, depending on on you know what your your use case is, um, you know, especially if you live you know somewhere like California, you know, where it's relatively warm and you know you're not going to lose a lot of range to cold temperatures and things like that. It can be, you know, it's it's certainly a more a more useful range than you know the first generation of EVs like the Leaf and uh, the Focus Electric and and the Fiat 500e um, and. It you know it it does uh, you know it it does really well and then they will be coming out with a two hundred mile range version uh, later this year so you know if you need the longer range you know that one will be coming um, you'll uh, you'll definitely give up some cargo space with that one um, and it probably won't be quite as efficient because you'll have more mass of the battery you know so it's more work for the, the powertrain to do. Uh, but it, you know, it should be, it should do pretty well. You know, it'll probably be a uh, 50 kilowatt hour battery pack. Uh, so almost twice the size of what's in there now. And that's still going to be, it's, it's a lipo battery, right? It's a lithium polymer that they've got. Yeah. In, per, yeah. yeah mo- most of the, most of the new ones are of uh, that type, especially the ones that are using LG chem batteries, um, or, you know, the other, any of the Korean batteries like, um, uh, Samsung or SK, they're pretty much all you know. A lot of the automotive stuff that isn't Tesla is using a lithium polymer uh, type of cell, so it, it it does really well. You know, and it you know it's got all of the other things that are good about modern Hyundai's. You know, it's got a decent infotainment system that is that performs re- reasonably well. It's responsive. Um, you know, it's got a you know it's a fairly easy to use interface. Um, you know it. Because it's you know it's electric, it's got plenty of torque, so it's got great drivability. Yeah, they, it handles reasonably well. Yeah, they they say it has two hundred and eighteen pound feet of torque, which is yeah, it's pretty good. That's and and it's you know it's instant torque. Yeah, so you know it 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 you know gets you off the line without any problems. And like I said, it handles really reasonably well. You know, when I picked it up, you know, at the airport when I got into San Francisco and and um, took a scenic route you know up along skyline drive you know getting down to san jose and you know that's a that's a great driving road and you know it you know it's it's you know it's not a sports car but you know it's it's quite nimble and and fun to drive yeah i felt the same way about the the hybrid you know i had the plug-in and it just it i came away trying to find demerits to give it you know because that's what we do because we're cynical uh, car mm-hmm. reviewers, but you, you try to find those flies in the ointment. And I, I really had a hard time finding anything that was not good about the Ionic, which is, 
a, a pretty good compliment for, for just about any car. Uh, but it, it was, you know, my comparison, my point of reference is the Prius because it's this very similar, you know, it's a dedicated model line that is, you know, efficiency focused and, and hybrid and plug-in and, and uh, electric only. So that, that to me is the closest analog. And I actually, I wound up liking it more than the Prius because I found it a little bit more engaging to drive. Yeah, it's more engaging to drive and it's it's more, um, shall we say, normal. Yeah. <laughs> in many respects, you know, yeah. it's not as it's not as weird looking uh, as the current generation Prius. Um, you know, it has the gauges in front of the driver where they should be. Um, you know, it has a decent infotainment system. Uh, the, the <laughs> Which one, the Prius does not. <laughs> no, the. <laughs> The the biggest issue I had with the Ionic Electric was actually just trying to find a place to plug it in to charge in San Jose. You know, given given how hard California pushes EVs, um, you know that there's it's still surprisingly difficult to find public charging in some in some places like San Jose. Uh, you know, I was I was staying at a hotel right next to the um, at the San Jose Hilton right next to the convention center. And they don't have any charging charging stations in their parking garage. None. Uh, no, none at all. And you know, I went looking around, um, you know, around the area. I looked up, you know, on Google Maps and you know, on the ChargePoint app, you know, looking for other ones. And the only the only other places where I could find some charging stations that were relatively nearby, you know, back within walking distance, you know, where I could where I could have potentially dropped off the car, plugged it in and walked back to the hotel were in other parking garages where I would have had to pay. And, you know, I was already paying to park in the hotel parking garage would have had to pay to get into other parking garages and then pay for the parking there or the, for the charging there. And, you know, what I ended up doing was going back to my hotel parking garage and just you know, kind of going slowly going around trying to find just a regular wall outlet to plug <laughs> into. And I finally found one in a in a far off corner of the garage. And, you know, fortunately, there was no other car parked there. And so I just pulled right in there and and just plugged, you know, plugged into a 110 outlet <laughs> and use that to uh, to charge it up over the next day and a half. That's I mean, that's I was going to ask you uh, whether you managed to, to charge it on one of the other. Uh, it's sort of fast charging levels because it offers pretty good support for that uh, different different charging um, uh, protocols or, or whatever the yeah, freaking word except, is. Except, yeah, it, you know, it does support DC fast charging. Um, but again, you know, there were there were no charging stations, you know, near downtown San Jose that I could find. That's no DC fast charging stations. Yeah, so that's really. I guess that's the issue with these cars now. There's a there's oh there's a critical mass of uh plug-ins and straight up electric cars, and now we need a way to rejuvenate the batteries. And that's right. that's lagging. You know, the- yeah. And and you know, it ironically, you know, Volkswagen, uh, as a result of their diesel emissions fiasco, will will help with this, you know, because of the Electrify America program, you know, part of their to part of their settlement, you know, uh, for the diesel emissions was contributing two billion dollars uh, over the next four years to uh, build build out uh, EV charging infrastructure. And a lot of that is going to go to DC fast charging infrastructure. Um, but you know, some of it is going to go to, uh, to level two chargers as well, you know, and the, the, 
you know, the big thing, you know, with, with these EVs, you know, if you, if you live somewhere, you know, if you, if you live in a house, you know, or you live somewhere where uh, you have, where you can put in a, a level two charger, then it's great. Um, but, you know, if like me, you're traveling, you know, visiting somewhere and it's, you know, you don't necessarily have access to charging it, you know, it can be rather inconvenient uh, to, you know, just to, you know, I can pull into, you know, the regular car, I can pull into any gas station anywhere and, and you know, fill it up in a few minutes and be on my way again. But that's still not the case with uh, with EVs. And certainly, you know, it's better in some places than others. Uh, you know, surprisingly, I've had I've had less difficulty trying to find, um, you know, EV charging here in Michigan than I have at some time at various times in California. Yeah. And you would think that a state like California that's so committed um, would have charging available all over the place. They they'd be ahead of the curve. Yeah, like you know, in Ann Arbor, you know, all the the public, uh, all the uh, the parking garages in downtown Ann Arbor have at you know at least a couple of EV charging stations, and and some have uh, as many as six or eight. Uh, you know, so there's plenty of places where you can find uh, you know somewhere to plug in and and juice up while you go grab some lunch or do your shopping or whatever. Um, and even you know other locations, you know, a lot of other stores, you know, um, have you know EV charging in their uh, in their parking lots. Um, but you know, that just wasn't the case in downtown San Jose. Well, you know, you did the right thing by, um, rogue, rogue location of a, uh, yeah. <laughs> an outlet. That's a very like, uh, I mean, I guess it's just sort of like a survival kind of instinct, self-sufficiency kind of thing. It, it reminds me of like back when, uh, they would have block parties in, in, um, in, in some neighborhoods, they would actually open up the base of the, uh, the street light <laughs> and mm -hmm. pull out the wires and just wrap the bare wires around the prongs of a, an extension cord to run the, the amplifiers for the, the speakers and stuff. So, yeah. And so you know, it's pretty like hard. Last, last summer, you know, my friend, uh, Bob Gritzinger, who writes for Ward's auto world, you know, he, he drove a bolt, uh, from his home in, in uh, near Lake Orion, Michigan, up to uh, Traverse City for the management briefing seminars. And, you know, he had trouble finding uh, EV charging as well along the way. You know, a couple of spots where there were supposed to be chargers, he got to them and found that they were inoperative, you know, including, you know, these were these were charging stations that were at, um, you know, electric utility offices. Uh, you know, and, you know, if if you're going to if you expect to find a, a working charger anywhere, it would be, you know, at the office of an electric utility that, you know, sells electricity. And, you know, he, he got there and found that the chargers were non-functional. Uh, so, you know, he, it's this is this is not an uncommon problem, um, especially, you know, if you're going you know, outside of the range of your home. Uh, so it's definitely something to consider still if you're going to get an EV. Um but I also had a, another car, you know, when I got back from California, I got uh, a different car to drive um, that was not electric. But it was um, very efficient. I mean, it was very efficient. Yeah. And, and actually, I was quite pleasantly surprised. And it was the Toyota Yaris uh, five door, uh, you know. And, you know, so now we have there's two two cars, two distinctly different cars that are badged as the Yaris. One is the Yaris IA, which is dropping the IA uh, for 2019, and it's just the Yaris sedan, and that's the car that started life as the Scion IA, which is a Mazda and it's, 
<laughs> right. It's a Mazda two. So of course um, that's great. <laughs> yeah. But the, um, the Yaris hatchback, um, is a completely different car. You know, it's a, that's a pure Toyota. And I was actually, you know, I wasn't expecting much, but it, it surprised me. It, it, it was actually better than I expected. Uh, you know, it's, it's Toyota's cheapest car. You know, it starts at like fifteen and a half thousand dollars. Um, you know, so you're not going to get a whole lot for that price, um, but you get more than you might expect. You know, you you know when you open and close the doors, you know they sound kind of hollow, uh, but still you know relatively solid. You know, but you're not going to get the you know that thunk you know that you get in a in a more expensive car. Um, you know. It's it's fairly lightweight. It's only a little over twenty three hundred pounds. Uh, the uh, it's a one point five liter four cylinder engine, normally aspirated. With um, you can get it with either a five speed manual or a four speed automatic. The one I had had the manual, and it was surprisingly peppy. You know, I mean, th- thankfully, you know, because it was so light, uh, you know, it had it had some get up and go and. Um, you know, it didn't have the greatest ride quality, but it was okay. And, you know, again, because of its lightweight, it, it felt fairly nimble and, you know, it was, it was not a terrible car. I was, yeah. you know, I, I felt that let's, let's put it this way for, you know, if somebody's looking for a cheap new car, I would recommend this way before I would recommend the Prius C. Okay. So that's interesting. Cause I, well, the Prius C is more expensive. Um, yeah. it probably doesn't get much better mileage, although it, it, it does get good fuel economy um i may be wrong on that it may actually get significantly better fuel economy but it's been a while since i've had either and i i was the thing that shocked me the most about the yaris was how how the steering felt it just like it had this really direct feel it had good feedback Mm -hmm. it was like if every toyota could have steering like the yaris i'd be fine with that um so 15 and a half is not yeah, it's cheap for a car, but it's not super, super cheap. It's not like v- Nissan I mean, versus. You, know, you can you can buy you can buy a used car, you know, for a lot less than that. Although, yeah. I don't think you can buy a, a new Versa for for much less than that. I thought a Versa started at like ninety nine hundred or like ten thousand. No, that 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 was back in like twenty ten. Oh, they don't they don't sell those super cheap Versas anymore. Now I gotta go look. Um, it, either way, it is definitely one of the the, the cheapest uh, cars to start you can you can get what did it sticker at or, or was yours the, like a base model? the one i had was was an se and it was just over nineteen thousand, including delivery charge so so and that that was the high-end model you know so that was pretty much loaded yeah but but loaded for the and this is this is where it runs into a problem right because loaded for the yaris you're still sacrificing some some things it's just like stuff's yeah. not available on that car which it's not sure it's not bad but, but it but it has some stuff that will surprise you like for example um you know it all yaris has now come standard with toyota's um tssc TSS. driver assist package okay so that gets you you know that's got um a laser sensor and uh camera uh so it includes uh forward collision alert automatic emergency braking uh lane departure warning uh and um and what else? Uh, uh, something else. I can't yeah, remember some, now. Some stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's more than, you know, a couple of years ago. It's certainly more than you would expect at that price point. Oh, you wouldn't expect yeah. anything at that price sta- point. Yeah. And that's that's standard equipment on that car. Um, um, you know, and so the, the Versa Sedan starts at 12000 
Okay, and right. The, the Versa Note, the hatchback, starts at fifteen six. So, so the, the Note is about the same price as a yard. And the Versa Note is the Versa. The sedan is awful. Yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna get a Versa, get the Versa Note. It's more useful. I mean, the sedan is is long, so it has a good, you know, good size interior, decent sized trunk. But that car feels so cheap. It's just, it's not a nice place to spend time. And even you know, though you can feel the the cost savings in the Yaris, uh, it didn't feel. It didn't feel like the cheap seats like a a, a Versa does. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I was really, I'm glad to see that I'm not as crazy as I think I am sometimes. The the yeah. Yaris, well, is you a good know, car. I mean, you, you mentioned you mentioned the fuel economy. So yeah. you know, I got 32 miles per gallon with, with um, the uh, with the Yaris. See, that's not and great. The, well, but uh, you know, I also I wasn't babying it. You know, I was I was driving it reasonably swiftly. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, uh, the, uh, the Prius C, you know, when I had, when I had a Prius C, you know, last fall, uh, I got, I think 43 with that, but that was a $27,000 car. Right. And it starts at 21. So, you know, when, you know, once you start to get up, you know, to, you know, 32, 35 miles per gallon, um, you know, every additional miles per mile per gallon, doesn't actually save you that much fuel. You know, every, it, it saves less and less fuel. So the actual operating cost difference is pretty small. You know, and, you know, it works out to, you know, if you're driving 15,000 miles a year, uh, you know, it works out to only a difference of about $250 a year in fuel costs. And, you know, so, I mean, you'd be, you'd have to, you'd have to drive a, ver, you know, the, the Prius C for, you know, 10, 12 years before you would make up the difference in fuel savings. Yeah, that's, that's and, true. And, and the Yaris is more fun to drive than the, than the, than the Prius C was. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. So which trim level did you have again? Uh, the SE. Yeah, the SE. Okay, so. I, that one it's it's not listed on the site right now yeah that's a pretty so, so i don't know if the, that's a particular yaris that's uh yeah was it a three door or was it a four door five uh, five, five door okay yeah three so the three door actually looks kind of cool it's got a forward rigged c pillar it looks looks kind of spiffy yeah except i think you can only get the the three door in the the base um you can get an le l trim you can get le as well can you get the le yeah okay so the, and the, the what's throwing me off is so the the se must you know the reason why it comes with the five speed it must be the same thing they're doing with the the corolla the the se is sort of the sporty ish version um because the the le's are all automatic only so Okay. That's that's an interesting. But you can also get the the manual in the in the base L model as well. Yeah. Um. So I I think that the the SE is probably the only one that's that's got, you know, a decent level of equipment and the manual. Um. It's interesting that Toyota's doing that. Uh, yeah. What other, what other stuff did it have? Did it have you know uh it, the? It had a seven seven inch touchscreen uh, and has uh, support. You know, if you have the, you can use the. Um, uh scout gps app uh was it, i think telenav yeah it's made by telenav right um and it'll project the uh the maps onto the screen in, you know in the car so you when you pair your phone to that uh it'll it'll project the uh the gps maps onto that so it doesn't have an embedded nav but it'll it can use it from your phone um and you know the the infotainment system is you know is pretty basic but it, it works um it, you know it's got a volume knob and everything it's got you know 
it's not as roomy as a Honda Fit, but you know nothing else that small is. Uh, but it's it's roomy enough, you know, to carry a couple of adults in the back seat uh, for you know modest modest trips. So you know, there's not you know at this price point, you know, you're you're, you're going to have a hard time finding anything a whole lot better than this. Yeah, well, and you know that with Toyota's sort of reputation, it's going to be a pretty solid bet. If you you want a car that's within that size and price range, this is not going to be troublesome, you know, because uh, like you mm-hmm. said, you, you can buy a used car and you can buy a good used car for that kind of money. But that's like, honestly, that that's kind of a an argument you can make all the way up to one hundred thousand dollars if you want it to. Like, sure. Yeah, sure. You could buy a used car. Fine. Yes, you could. You, but you could buy yeah. you could buy the RS new and have a warranty on it. Right. And uh it, it's a solid choice. You know, the, the Yaris, it remains kind of this like little sleeper favorite of mine in the, the Toyota lineup. So uh, I'm glad they haven't screwed it up yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of hatchbacks that are fun to drive, I you managed have? to weasel my way into a uh, Volkswagen GTI this week. Oh, I haven't driven a GTI in years. Yeah, you know, uh, it's been the last the last GTI I had was actually a Golf R. And um, that was really entertaining. And uh, this GTI was also entertaining, felt a little down on power compared to that last one. But, you know, everything that we say about the GTIs, you know, when we recommend it, because it's a a car that we wind up recommending a lot because it's just so competent. It's so good at the things that it does. And, And what it does is... Uh, it fills those everyday car duties really well. Um, you know, this is it's it's family car size in Europe because of their <laughs> their taxes. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, the, the, this is a car you can get. You know, four people and the 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 dog in, or five adults, or or whatever, and use it to go, you know, over to to grandmother's house uh, for a spot of tea. Like it's it's fine. Um, it, it's very useful. It's a hatch, so it's got you know, all its cargo space accessible and it's, it's pretty efficient. I, as, as all small cars should be. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, more, more hatches, please hatches and wagons. Um, and it's very well made. It, you know, it feels really solid. The materials are good. The design is excellent. You know, just to sort of the way Volkswagen designs a car is clever. You can look and see that they thought about this all of, even all the little pieces, how everything fits together. It's just, I, I like that aspect of it, um, and I like the if, materials. If only they would stay that that well put together, you know, over the long haul. Well, you know, you can't have everything in life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you know, I mean, that's you know, having owned a couple of VWs now, uh, you know, it's this this is the the thing, and and knowing other people that have owned VWs, you know, it's that classic problem of they're great cars to drive, you know. It's just they can be very hit and miss when it comes to the ownership experience. Yeah. So do the interiors like it seems to me that the interiors, I mean, the the two cars we had, we had a Passat and we had a Jetta. The interiors actually held up really well. Right. It's my experience with European cars and and, and Volkswagens through like tertiary experiences. A lot of it holds up just fine. But then there's all of these tiny little mechanical problems that just explode around 80,000 miles. And they don't, they don't or 60 or or 60. 
<laughs> and it's just like it, it's just this constant stream of annoying crap that's like it doesn't make the car necessarily like unusable but it gnaws at you every time you drive it and and it's always like this um this wool sweater kind of thing like if you pull on the thread you know if you do the ball joints you might as well do the bushings and you can't just do the bushings because of the way they're in the arms you might as well do the you know, get the loaded arms and then you're doing, you know, and the, it's a Volkswagen. So it's got nine ball joints in the front end or something ridiculous. Maybe they don't anymore, but they, you know, the, the, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think they do that anymore, but, uh, yeah, it's still a good car. It's a great car. Uh, the, oh, yeah. the GTI is fantastic. And, uh, the one that I had was $31,000. So I think it had, um, uh, the sport i'm trying to think of what package it had i'm actually trying to bring it up uh it was the i think it was the auto no it wasn't the autobahn (laughs) it must have been the se because the se is like thirty thousand dollars and uh it had led headlights it had blind spot monitoring it had their their newest infotainment system with a touchscreen it was it was okay um but i flat seats no it had leather oh uh, I was a little disappointed, but the, you know the, the leather's nice. Um, it had a six-speed leather manual. or or VTEX. Uh, e- either or. You know what? VTEX yeah. is like I well, I will take VTEX. Yeah, I mean the you know as 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 synthetic leather goes, Volkswagen's VTEX is great stuff, and it, and it actually holds up really well over time. Yeah, but I mean, we we had that in our Jetta, and you know even after seven years. You know, it looked like new. I think it's it is actually leather though. It's just, I think it's Titan okay. Titan leather versus the, the so the Titan black cloth has the the tartan, um, which just looks so much spiffier. Uh, but you know, it had interior lighting. It has like the accent lights and the do- the door trims and stuff. It's it's a nice car, uh, and it should be because it's it's and, and it's a good looking car too. It's, it's always like classically handsome, fantastic looking. Um, you know, we rave about it because it's it's well done. It's one of the few cars that you can get a manual that it's not like, you know, the low trim. Um, it's not a penalty. And it's so much more engaging with the manual than with the DSG. I don't care what anybody says about racing heritage. The, uh, excuse me. The manual is where it's at with this car, um, even as it blips the throttle for you helpfully. Uh, when you try to take off, you're like, what are you doing, car? I know how to drive. <laughs> Stop it um but the there's can you turn that off i don't know uh i couldn't find a setting to just shut that off there were a couple of things i couldn't shut off that kind of annoyed me uh but it, overall there's just like there's two personalities to the gta and i think that's why it does so well because it, it's it's a golf so it handles all the basics really well and if you want to just drive it around like a basic golf it's not going to complain you won't really notice except for the, the ride might be a little louder and, and uh, you know, a little stiffer. Um, but then there were those chances where I'd had, have like a, an open on-ramp. And so, you know, you have to get up to speed and the on-ramps here sometimes have S curves in them. So you can clip the apex, you know, you can clip <laughs> a couple apexes and just, uh, you know, you can do some heel toe shifting to just blend into traffic and stuff. And it just, it accommodates that it, it just it's like it switches modes immediately and, and it just you become really it becomes really attuned to what you want to do. And and so it, it's ready to go. And and that's where it was really like, wow, this is a great car, because I would do that even like with the Yaris. I would do the same thing. <laughs> it would be like, whoa, 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 guy. Hey, slow down. 
and then the, the GTI is just ready to ready to do it. Um, so it it still lives up to the promise. You know, it's it's there's a reason why it gets recommended so much, and it's it's just a very good car to to drive. It's a great car to lease. Yeah, it's it's an excellent car to lease. Um, <laughs> it, I'm trying to think of how I would describe the power delivery too, because it wasn't. It's not turbo lag like in the classical sense of turbo lag, but you you certainly get a very strong surge of power once all the boost comes in. It's almost like like a a, a like binary though. It's like it's either on or off, you know, because you can drive it gently and you won't really feel that wave of torque. But if you put your foot down, all of a sudden, boom, you've got peak torque, and then it's 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 not like you feel it drop off either because it has a very flat torque curve. But you you have to wait for it a little bit, or you have to sort of call it up. You know, you have to send send the uh, send the full speed ahead signal down to the engine room, and, <laughs> and then it, and then it wakes up. So I think that's probably part of the way it's it's tuned for fuel economy. But uh, other than that, it, you know, it's just it's a great strong little car. Uh, not the not the quickest, I don't think, in its in its class, but it, it's still enjoyable to drive and it turned back i think 34 35 miles per gallon which i was super impressed by yeah i mean can't complain about that no um so yeah it's still good the gti gets my ringing endorsement i i like this car quite a bit even though it's infotainment Excellent. sucks ish <laughs> it didn't it doesn't have well, nav which i was annoyed by yeah, but it's got Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, so who cares if it's got you know well, embedded nav? Yeah, and, and so we should try to get a, a a UX, an automotive UX or UI designer on the show, so I can browbeat them about some things. Like, why do they do stuff like when you adjust the volume, make a visual thing with a little like bar graph or, or volume display pop up on on the, the screen. Like, why is that necessary? <laughs> I can hear it if it's loud or quiet. And that's a, that's a good point. Uh, you know, the, the, the Volkswagen thing, what it, it, it tries to be helpful. I, you know, you know, where, you know, where, you know, where I think that, uh, where that's more relevant is, um, you know, if you're using like the steering wheel controls for volume. Yes and no, though. Just just as, you know, as an indicator that, you know, hey, it's responding. I mean, yeah, right. Yes, you can hear if it's getting louder or not. Uh, but I think, you know, just as a as a visual cue that, you know, you're pressing this button on the steering wheel and something is, is going to happen. Right. I I thought about that. I was like, OK, all right. That makes a little bit of sense. But so then if you're using the steering wheel control, you're trying not to be distracted. So then you've got this other thing on the other side of your peripheral vision blinking on the screen. Just, mm. just make it get louder or softer. <laughs> Piano or forte, either or. <laughs> I don't need to see it <laughs> like um, fair enough. And, and when you when you get your hand near it, um, it senses your hand. And I think you can shut this off, but it, it'll sense your hand and, and enlarge the touch targets which is, is helpful, but it's also like things seem to move <laughs> right, yeah. right as you're ready for them, which is, it kind of reminds me of the, um, the, I have a, a, a mighty mouse. Um, and <laughs> if you I feel for you, it, what happens is like, you should get a, you should get a real mouse. Yeah. Well, you know, it was it just, it came with my work computer. Um, but the mighty mouse is, is not designed for, to be used. <laughs> 
because like when yes. the closer you get to something the more it wants to get you away from it so you go to click on something and it does something else like what the fuck <laughs> i just want the thing <laughs> uh you know what i i will i'll reach out to uh to dave lyons and uh see if we can get him on the show um you know he, he's his specialty is ux design yeah um, he's, he's a former GM designer and he's got his own, uh, design studio now. Um, and I'll see if we can get him or, or somebody on to, to talk about some of these issues. That would be cool. Cause I, as much as I complain about it, I'm, I'm sure that there's, there is thought behind it and there's a reason for it. And, and while I may not agree with it, I'd like to understand it better. So if, if, if we can have somebody on to plead the other side, instead of just me sort of bleeding into the darkness, that, that might be interesting. Might make for a good okay. show. Um, and so let's make for a good show here too. Uh, let's, let's get to some of the news. Um, cause there's been some things that have happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like so. fuel economy standards. Eh, we don't need fuel economy standards. The air's clean enough now. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, we can, we can dial it back a little, you know, make it sure. a little dirtier. It's not going to kill anybody. Right. I, uh, you know, it'll kill little people. <laughs> so yeah and they don't donate you know, to last, campaigns so who right, needs right, them right after you know the day after we recorded last the last show um you know the epa finally made their announcement and actually we, we need to clarify something here that's that's been frequently misreported over the last week or so um the epa did not make any changes to cafe rules so there there's actually there, there's this weird split you know in the way the some of the the various regulations are done and um, EPA uh, is responsible for emissions standards and regular and and uh, enforcement. And NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, um, for some reason, is responsible for fuel economy standards, even though they're supposed to be responsible <laughs> for safety. Um, and uh, back in 2009, 2010, um, when the Supreme Court. Uh, ruled that EPA actually has the authority to regulate um, uh, CO2 uh, and greenhouse gas emission standards. They started working on on standards for that, and and during in the process of uh, you know updating the the fuel economy standards and everything else, the EPA and NHTSA worked together and they coordinated the greenhouse gas emission standards. You know, got it aligned so because greenhouse gas emissions are directly correlated to how much fuel you burn. So right. if you improve fuel efficiency, you're going to have lower CO two emissions. Right. Uh, and so they got the standards aligned so that that you know they they both amount to essentially the same thing but there's actually two separate standards that manufacturers have to meet um and uh the uh they they uh the in the waning days of the Obama administration they announced that they were going to cut short the midterm review cuz in the in the process of setting up the standards through 2025 uh, the government, you know, worked with uh, with manufacturers to set the targets and, you know, they said, OK, you know, midway through, you know, 2015, 2016 or 2016, 2017, we're going to do a midterm review, see how you're doing with the standards up to that point and, you know, see if we need to make some adjustments. And that was supposed to be a two year process. Um, they cut it short. Uh, and locked in the standards for the 22, 2022 to 2025 model years, 
um, at that point. And when the new administration came in, they said, no, you know what? We're going to reopen that, that process. And so last week, EPA, you know, after a year of, uh, reevaluating the the standards, um, they rescinded the uh, Obama rule, the Obama administration rule that uh, for the the targets for CO two emission standards, um, and said we're going to start over again. And so now, what happens is nothing yet. <laughs> All they said was the 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 targets that were set for 2022 to 25, um, those are not going to be the targets. You know, we're right. gonna we're gonna set new targets, but now that means that they have to start a new rulemaking process, and EPA has not even start. You know, they've not even kicked off. You know, uh, a notice of proposed rulemaking. Um, you know, and that's that's a process that that's probably going to be a couple of years. For that process to happen, you know, because they have to go through um, putting out a, a, an initial notice of proposed rulemaking. There's a comment period. They have to evaluate the comments. Then they put out um, uh, the proposed rule um, and go through the comment process again. You know, so it's it, it's going to take some time. And at the same time, they also have to work with NHTSA to revise the cafe standards, right. which nothing's been done with that yet. Well, I, I heard a lot of uh, sort of half-informed reporting about the, the cafe standards and and how you know, yeah, they're reporting, like, all cars are going to have to get 54.5 miles per like, no, 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 no. That's not right. Like, <laughs> you mean you mean full size uh, heavy duty pickup trucks are not going to have to get four, uh, 54 miles per gallon? No, and if they could, that'd be fantastic. I mean, part of part of what's going on is like automakers have been victims of their own success. They kind of got ahead of some of these uh, some some of the rules, right? They they were doing better on fuel economy uh, than was was thought. Uh, or or was initially assumed, right? Or, or am I? Not yeah, some it? some 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 vehicles and some vehicle segments were uh, ahead of their targets. Uh, but the thing is, you know, it's not it's not a, a linear incremental process that goes up every year. You know, they don't they don't update every car every year. You know, so what'll happen is depending on the Kate, you know, the timing of when a new model comes out, you'll typically get the big jump when a new model comes out and, you know, then it'll be tend to be relatively static over a couple of years until they do an update and then, you know, it'll jump up again. Uh, you know, so it, it kind of goes up in the stair step process. So, you know, it's, it's, it's uneven and, you know, not every manufacturer was doing, as well as all the others, you know, like for example, uh, Fiat Chrysler, you know, has been lagging behind most of, you know, I think they were, um, last overall in terms of their fuel economy or, or second to last yeah, but in terms of their, their fleet average fuel economy. But that's partly because look at their you know, fleet. of the, their product mix. Yeah. yeah. You know, they had, they, you know, a lot of trucks, a lot of SUVs and that, so that dragged their average down. And that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, they're introducing a lot of 48 volt mild hybrids starting this year. Well, you know, interesting for FCA, they, they got rid of, they got rid of all of their cars, <laughs> like yeah. all their small cars. You know, the, the, uh, the Avengers is gone. The Avenger and 200 are gone. So at the dart, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they just, they don't have anything that, uh, can help bolster the, the, the cafe number there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're kind of in a bind. I mean, I guess overall, like the, it counts the, the Fiat brand as well as Chrysler and, and Dodge and, and Alpha altogether, or are they broken out? 
Uh, no, they're they're all they're all lumped together. They're all averaged together. So they've got they've got a couple like the five hundred that helps. Like the five. Yeah, they've got the five hundred and the five hundred X, and they've got you know they've got the small utilities like the Renegade, um, and and even the Compass, you know, that do you know do reasonably well. And you know we'll start seeing you know more hybrid uh, powertrains coming into more of those models and more more electrification in general, you know, being added to the FCA lineup over the next couple of years. Um, so, you know, we'll probably see a bunch more 48 volt mild hybrids and, and also some additional strong hybrids, you know, and that's, that's part of why they did the, uh, the Pacifica plug-in hybrid, uh, you know, to help pull up their overall average. Yeah. Um, it's like as an automaker though, what do you, I, I, I don't know, like it's, they lobbied for these changes in, in, you know, on the one hand. Or, but on the other hand, like, doesn't it cost them money? Like, if things are going along and you're 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 trying to save costs as an automaker in an increasingly difficult, you know, um, uh, sort of sort of profit landscape, um, wouldn't you want to try to to make like the fewest versions of cars and and in, increase your fuel economy so that it fits easily in the, you know, the rest of the world standards, especially Europe where you're, you're selling cars in Europe's a very big market altogether. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's not entirely clear exactly what, um, what the manufacturers asked for, you know, from some various conversations I've had, you know, it, it seems like what they were asking for was some flexibility because of the nature of, of the market, you know, what the market was demanding in terms of products. You know, so when, you know, when they, uh, when everybody agreed to the standards, you know, back in 2012, you know, 2011, 2012, uh, you know, the product mix was quite different from what it is today. You know, they were selling a lot more cars, you know, it looked like they were going to be selling, you know, continue selling more smaller cars for the foreseeable future because, you know, nobody anticipated oil prices to drop back down to 50, 50 bucks a barrel. Um, so, you know, everybody figured gas prices were going to stay, stay a little higher and they were going to be able to sell more easily, sell more smaller cars. And, you know, because of externalities, you know, the the market demand shifted pretty rapidly you know, to uh, utilities and, and big trucks. And, you know, that, you know, that caused, you know, that caused them some hurt. And so what they were looking for was some flexibility, you know, especially, you know, on some of the, some of the enforcement stuff, you know, some of the penalties for missing the targets, you know, or, you know, being able to earn credits, um, you know, for, for some things, uh, you know, such as, you know, the, the way they deploy um, electric vehicles, you know, earning some extra credits for those, you know, especially if the, if EVs were deployed in, you know, shared fleets and things like that, where, you know, one EV uh, in a shared fleet might replace several, um, you know, conventional vehicles, you know, in individual use, you know, they, they were looking for some additional credits for things like that, um, which would have helped, helped bring up their overall average. And, you know, right now, you know, they haven't actually gotten any of that. Um, you know, basically all, all that's happened is, you know, the EPA, you know, just got through it has said, you know, okay, we're not going to do what, you know, you know, what the Obama administration said. And, you know, the, the thing is when, you know, in January of 2017, you know, when they um, firmed up, you know, what the standards were going to be for 2022 to 25, 
you know, EPA put out a 1,200-page report with all kinds of data on, you know, kind of what the status of work, you know, what the technologies were, what was being deployed, what was expected to be deployed, what the costs were. They had a lot of they had a lot of analysis and a lot of data to back up their decision. And the report that was issued last week by the EPA ran a grand total of 38 pages and had no real details about what exactly they were going to do in place of the rules that they were rescinding. You know, when you've got an industry as large as auto manufacturing, it's really disruptive to introduce a, a level of uncertainty that stretches out for months. It's mm-hmm. just like or years. Yeah, you just you can't you can't plan. You don't know what to do. So if I'm an automaker at this point, I'm just gonna be like, yeah, thanks for the flexibility. It helps me not get dinged when I'm like trying to make a profit selling the things that people want. Uh, but beyond that, I'm gonna carry on making <laughs> making you know cars more efficient and safer and lighter and all you know in, introducing yeah, but- electrification and all of those things. Yeah, I mean, basically what this amounts to is that nothing is going to change in the product plans. They're going to continue developing the same stuff they were going to develop, you know, based on the the earlier rules, uh, because not only you know, do they have to deal with, um, you know, the U.S. market, but, you know, these are global companies that are developing products for global markets. You know, the Europeans, the Chinese, you know, they're not backing off on their standards. You know, the U.S. is the only country doing this. And, you know, because of you know the added costs of developing you know these technologies to improve efficiency and to go to electrification, you know they need to get more scale. They need to sell more of these vehicles in order to drive the cost down to get the economies of scale. Yeah, and so they actually have a, at this point a financial incentive to you know continue to deploy those technologies even here, so they can get that scale and get the cost down and, and help their margins. Well, you know, and also. If I've made that investment, you can't unmake the investment when you're when you're right. an automaker. So uh, you you can turn around and and now is your your like come to Jesus moment where you're like okay, so it's not mandated. All of a sudden, you know, we still have to figure out how to to create the demand for this thing that we've made. Um, and and you, it it can be a selling point. It it you know you can sell cars on efficiency. Uh, and and if that's what it comes to, like, I have no doubt that uh, automakers will figure out how to make this this work. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm really confused about where. Where the hatred for the EPA or for emission standards come from, like, I, I remember being a kid in the early 80s and you would see, you know, a, a lot of pre-catalyst cars and they definitely mm-hmm. stank. Uh, and, you know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, just just smoggy crappy emissions and and it's it's not uh it's not as bad as it was so we've had sort of demonstrable success with this i i don't i don't get why there's this this dis dislike for that like you yes it costs money to not kill each other with vehicles i get it like that's that's probably an investment yeah there there are certain segments of the population that just hate regulations of any kind for any reason well i understand but like uh, honestly and they happen they happen to be in power right now (laughs) the the so there's a study out there i forget who did it um but it ties directly back to vehicle emissions and it was uh, you know the tetraethyl lead in fuels first of all tetraethyl lead is a thing foisted upon you by general motors and dupont and Mm -hmm. uh you know the 
lovely guy named Thomas Midgley who died of cancer. So, ha. Uh, um, but once tetraethyl lead went down, there's this 20 sort of 20 years inertia, you know, lag. We, we, we essentially banned leaded fuel in the, the late seventies or very early eighties. So all of a sudden, you know, lead has these, these psychological uh, effects all of a sudden in the late eighties, early nineties, crime rates started to drop. And it, mm-hmm. it's not just the U S it's, other countries that have banned leaded fuel, they've seen the same 20 year cycle. All of a sudden, you know, as, as it, it sort of makes its way out of the, the, the bodies of the population and, and a younger generation comes up that wasn't exposed as drastically to lead, which does make you aggressive and crazy. Uh, their, their crime rates drop off their violent crime rates like plummet. So, it's clearly effective to regulate emissions. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, uh, regardless of, of what you think about the emissions, you know, the, te- the same technologies that helped us meet those emission standards have also dramatically improved the performance of modern cars. Yeah. You know, so the cars today are, are cleaner and they perform better. Well, you know, so w- without those regulations, we probably would not be where we are today. You know, we you wouldn't have things like Grand Cherokee Trackhawks and Dodge <laughs> Demons and yeah, you know, and all these other crazy machines that we drive. Um, yeah, you know, and and they certainly wouldn't be you know as efficient and reliable as they are. Well, you know, and that's that's the 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 flip side of it. That that was um, we went through. You know, we colloquially call it the malaise era, and it was the sort of first era of mandated emissions controls and, and really tight uh, fuel economy standards. Uh, again, late seventies to mid eighties. Um, and yeah, power levels dropped. Uh, performance was, was lower. Um, but the, the reasons for that and, and, and sort of the, the technologies that were in their infancy, you know, they got, they got better and they, they developed it and the industry's, screamed and cried about that they said, we, we can't do it i i say the industry like there i'm sure there were people in the industry who who thought it was a good thing and really just you know said hey we've got a problem to solve let's solve the problem and the, the solutions were uh, actually amazing if you look at the tools they had at the time um and and how they applied that engineering and and uh you know skill to get this effect out of it. I mean, these are cars with carburetors and stuff, you know, like carburetors and thermal reactors and things like there was, there was certainly and lots and lots of vacuum tubes. Yeah. I mean, I remember our, the SX V six in our, in our, uh, Granada wagon was, uh, quite the plumbing nightmare. Um, and you had vacuum amplifiers and, and like all the little signals that had to go around. Cause I think I had a Carter, not a Carter, a, uh, motorcraft 2100 series carburetor. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it, it's difficult. They made those gains though. It was like, no, we can't possibly do that. Uh, and then they've, they found a way. And so I, I tend to think that, you know, we'd be a little bit ambitious with setting standards and, and regulation and, uh, you know, let's, let's say, yeah, I know they're tough. Meet them. And when we have those reviews, like we talked about the mid cycle review, it's like, okay, we can relax this a little bit or we can extend it, but you know, still like, this is our goal, get to the goal. And, and in doing that, I think, you know, you, you are creating 
opportunities you're not you're not having this chilling effect like you're making making jobs like you know, like there's you need engineers and people to solve these problems so i don't know yeah and then you know what engineers tend to work better when they're given constraints yeah you know they, they tend to come up with better products when you know if you just tell somebody to go out and, and design something with you know without any kind of specifications or constraints they might come back with something good but, you know, they oftentimes will end up in the weeds, you know, trying all kinds of different things, you know, just to see what works. You know, and it's it, putting constraints on people actually forces more creativity. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's what's forced the technological advantages that we have in cars is those those constraints. And, you know, the product is better as a result. Yeah. Well, and because the flip side, too, winds up being cost becomes the main driver. And no, you're not going to get that because it costs too much. And we're trying to, to make this as much of a profit vehicle as possible. And we've, we've seen all of those things in, in the past. <laughs> and now there's like, there needs to be that, uh, that investment in the, the emissions and, and performance and uh, cleanliness of the, the cars. And, and there's a certain level of cost to that. It's, it's not the free for all back when it was, you know, filthy carbureted V8s with no emissions controls and n not even PCV, just road tubes. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I, like, you know, I, 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 in my youth, I spent way too many hours trying to find vacuum leaks that were preventing an engine from running. Right. And the fact that I no longer have to go anywhere near a vacuum tube does not bother me in the least. <laughs> I use the spray bottle with some water. It finds. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, we should, we should jump off to the next topic, but uh, I'm, right. I'm baffled by why we don't want more fuel economy. Well, let's uh, let's let's talk about uh, the Ford Focus then. Yeah, uh, so there's an all new Focus, which you might have thought that small cars were dead because everybody is going for uh, crossovers, and I have no doubt that the Focus platform is going to underpin some sort of crossover at some point, but the, fo the, the focus of the focus today is uh, the new range of, of hatches. And there's even a wagon, which we're probably not going to get here. We'll in the never, States. we'll never see on these shores. Oh my God. Yeah. Is it cool looking though? Oh yeah. It's, that's awesome. It's just slightly longer. That's it's, it's just a, a slightly longer hatch, but it's beautiful because it's a way. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Ford Ford uh, took the wraps off the new Global Focus uh, this morning as we record on on uh, Tuesday, and um, it's it's about the same size as the current car, uh, about 110 pounds lighter, and uh, excuse me, new powertrains uh, for uh, the Chinese market. Uh, it's getting uh, the carryover the one liter three-cylinder EcoBoost and 1.5 liter EcoBoost, uh, which we also have in the Fusion here now. Uh, and then for Europe, they're also getting the um, the 1.5 liter turbo diesel that was just announced for the Transit Connect. Uh, we saw that in uh, in Chicago in, in February. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if they perhaps offer that, uh, here in North America as well. Uh, Europe is at least, uh, Europe and I'm not sure about Asia, at least Europe will also be getting a 48 volt mild hybrid system on the 1.5 liter. Um, and that we may well see over here, uh, as well. Uh, we're not going to get this new focus until 
middle to later part of uh, 2019 for some reason. Is it going to be a 2020 um, model? Probably yeah. by the time it launches here. Yeah. I mean, if we don't, if we don't see it here before the middle of next year, it'll definitely be a 2020 model. Uh, and the, the focuses that we get here because sales have dropped off so much, you know, Ford has, has shifted their plans a couple times in, over the past uh, eight or nine months. Uh, originally, currently the focuses for North America are built in the, uh, the Michigan assembly plant in Wayne, Michigan, uh, which is uh, just west of Detroit. Uh, west of Dearborn and um, that plant uh, in the next couple of months right now they're they're cranking out focuses and storing them in various parking lots around here there's an old Visteon plant here uh, that's closed but its parking lot is stacked full of focuses right now um, so it looks like they're they're, st they're stocking up on focuses that will carry them through until the new one launches here but the plan was they were going to shift the focus production to uh, the Hermosillo, Mexico plant. Uh, well, actually, originally they were going to build a new plant in Mexico. Right. They canceled that um, because as sales dropped, they realized that they didn't need that much capacity. So they were going to build them in Hermosillo where they also built the fusion. And then they said, no, we, not enough. We don't have enough capacity there. Or, you know, that's still too much capacity. So now when we get our, the new focus here, they're actually going to be imported from China. Of course. Um, but the, uh, the the Wayne plant where they build the Focus and the C-Max now is going to, you know, in the next few months will be retooled to build uh, the new Ranger and the Bronco. Uh, so we'll be getting those here. So, you know, we'll actually get products that Americans want to buy being built here Well, yeah, uh, you, instead of the Focus. Those are also going to be higher profit. Oh, yeah, profits, much higher profit margin. Which will allow them to, you know, make a better case for for those, the, the more expensive uh, labor at that plant. And that's, that's not a knock on <laughs> the labor at the plant. It's just, um, it, it makes sense. I think to a, to a degree to build cars like this in China and China is, yeah, is such a, well, like, you know, I mean, the, the, the market there is, you know, significantly larger than it is here. Yeah. You know, Ford is going to sell a lot more focuses in China than they're going to sell here. Right, the ones they sell so, here are like a rounding error. Like, you know, like, yeah, just, just, yeah. Put them on a boat. If the boat goes down, they, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're you know they're down to you know they they were you know a few years ago they were selling you know two hundred fifty thousand focuses a year here in the U.S. You know that's dropped by about half now, and by the time the new one arrives, you know it'll probably drop you know by you know another thirty or forty percent. You know, and you know Ford has has said you know that. Um, you know, they're, they're shifting, you know, from cars to, you know, from, from a mix that, you know, is more evenly split between cars, utilities, and trucks to, you know, 86% utilities and trucks, you know, over the next two or three years. Uh, so, you know, it's just, you know, it's what the market's demanding, uh, you know, but certainly this new focus, you know, looks a lot better both inside and inside and out, uh, but especially inside, you know, the, the current focus is a little bit cluttered in its dashboard design. You know, the new one is, is definitely, definitely looks a lot better, does, a lot cleaner. I haven't seen any interior pictures. It does, does it still have the weird sort of like Euro Ford kind of buttonorama. No. So, yeah. That was always the strangest thing was like, you, you definitely got the sense that this, this was a European Ford that they brought over here. Uh, yeah. The no, the, the, yeah, the the new the new interior is uh, more like we're like what we're seeing in a lot of other um, cars now, where you've got 
the the center screen uh, is you know kind of stands up like a tablet on top of the dashboard, so it's closer to your line of sight. Uh, you know, then you've got some physical controls below that, uh, but it's it's a much cleaner, uh, better integrated design. Yeah, they need to do that too. You know, the last focus I was in had some of that that noticeable cost cutting that I, I find kind of galling, even at at a, a sort of C segment price level, um, you know, for for it's good at, at providing value, but you know, I I tend to notice door panels are overly plasticky. You know, things don't feel quite as nice as they could. Uh, you, you know, just there's there's certain things I look for in a Ford, and I'm sure you, like you you drive a lot of cars too, so you get in you you notice the things that every each manufacturer does sort of like how they how they meet their price targets <laughs> and, and support has somewhat cheaper interiors even in in uh each each segment they're in i've at least that's my opinion is that their interiors present a little cheaply um compared to the, the competition so hopefully that's taken a step up yeah we'll we'll see um but it's it definitely you know i, I think that this you know, this new focus, you know, looks promising. Look, you know, for, for those of us that, uh, you know, want to stick with cars, um, you know, I think, uh, I think it'll, it'll, it'll be good. Well, so, you know, hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll get some of the interesting stuff here, like the, uh, the ST, the new ST. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I know we're, you know, we're obviously not going to get the wagon here, so, but you know, it never hurts to dream. How did they, I would love to have that here. I mean, just small wagons are cool. Um, and that's because we had two escort wagons when I was a kid, um, which were not cool, but they just, they, they, you know, wet my appetite for small wagons. Um, how did they manage the trick? They, they say they've given it sort of a more cab rearward, um, look, or, or maybe they've actually shifted the, the, so, the cab rearward. A yeah. Little. So, the, you know, this, this is, you know, a visual trick, you know, similar to what, uh, Mazda's done. You know, on their current generation of, of models where, you know, there's maybe a little bit less uh, angle to the windshield and you're moving the base of the, the eight pillars back a little bit. Uh, okay. uh, you know, H Honda's done the same kind of thing with the, the Civic and the uh, the Accord. Uh, so it's, you know, just kind of it, it, it doesn't it actually, you know, you don't actually have to change it by that much to have a, a noticeable visual impact. And, you know, that's what Ford has done. Yeah. Here. And so and the thing to me that, that stood out was like, yes, we've given it, you know, a longer, longer hood, but the interior space is the same within the same footprint. Um, right. So that, that was really interesting. So it's, it's a visual trick and that's, that's perfectly fine. Although I wonder if the longer hood actually helps them out with the sort of European pedestrian impact stuff too. uh i don't i don't think it makes any any significant uh, difference there because that what you're what you need there is the sp the vertical space. space between the the hood and the engine um so that's you know for example that's why you know on a lot of the uh, european design cars you know one of the things that you'll see uh you know including on this focus is you'll see that the the cut line for the hood you know so the the hood will come down and You'll see the cut line that comes along the the fender, um, yeah, you know, uh, and that that helps give it that extra little bit of space there and, and room to to compress outwards, um, so that you know if a pedestrian lands on the on the hood, you know the the hood 
as it as it collapses a little bit, it can spread outwards and take up some of that, you know, absorb some of that energy. Yeah, it has that that kink in it um, in the cut line. Right. Yeah. Um, you know what? What I noticed about speaking of cut lines, every single car on the market has um, an awkward transition from the rear bumper cover to the rear quarter panel. Somebody should solve that. They'll be a billionaire because <laughs> there's this really <laughs> obvious awkward line uh, between where the, the quarter panel sheet metal and the, the, um, the composite, uh, bumper cover come together, you know, and there's supposed to be this seamless styling thing and you, you could make it all out of metal, but good luck when you bump a shopping cart. Um, right. You know, but like, I was trying to see who has solved that. Nobody has solved that. There's the, you know, there's, there's different orientations for that cut line, but it's there in every single car. I, I, I was watching it at red lights. The, just yeah no it's that's that's definitely there and um you know i think part you know part of it you know comes down to you know the colors and you know how how well you can match the colors you know and and kind of hide those seams yeah. or or make them seem less obvious uh you know or you know having character lines that you know kind of blend into those seams uh you know so that the, the seam itself becomes less visible, yeah. less obviously visible. So, I mean, there's, there's some tricks that designers will do, but you know, it's, it's challenging because you do need to, to have some, you need to have that, the plastic part there with the compliance, you know, in order to um, absorb some of that energy, you know, in a, in a less expensive part to, to replace or repair um, rather than having it fed directly into the sheet metal. Yeah. It's, it's just, just an interesting thing. Like, eventually somebody will come up with a new way to do it. And then everybody's going to go that way too. But, uh, and, and automakers are amazing at matching the colors across all the different materials too. That's, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's actually, that's actually something that's really hard yeah, to do, hard. you know, to mat, match colors uh, you know, across plastic and steel and aluminum. Yeah. And the amount of like, you know, that, that gap can't be perfectly closed. I'm sure you could get it, you know, tighter than it, than it is, but you know, it also needs to like, you know, in, in, in the sunlight, it's going to expand. So it's just all these just interesting little challenges. And I don't want to get too geeky about it because we're just running the clock on the show. We should talk about something else. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. All right. Before we get into a couple of listener questions, uh, I've got to rant one more time. Um, and you know, this, this time, you know, it's about the idiots that post, um, videos on youtube of you know doing stupid human tricks with tesla the, autopilot. the orange trick or the what do they call it the fruit bowl or fruit, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah well, well whatever i mean you know the the one that really ticked me off you know was this this jackass that um you know was using some oranges you know wedged into the steering wheel of a model three you know because autopilot is not designed for hands-off use you're supposed to keep your hands on the wheel and you know, if the system detects that your hands aren't on the wheel and you know, it's looking for, you know, torque feedback, you know, there's a torque sensor on the steering wheel and it's looking for, you know, kind of the, the small motions that your hands will generally tend to make on the steering wheel. And, you know, we've seen, you know, guys try all kinds of, you know, stupid things to, to get around that, you know, hanging weights off there, you know, jamming an orange you know, or oranges into the between the steering wheel spokes. And, you know, this this idiot 
you know, posted one yesterday and he, he's got, you know, I don't know, probably 50 or 60 various Tesla videos. And I'm, I'm not going to link to them because I don't want to give them the, uh, link juice, the, the, the views. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you, you know, please, you know, if you see somebody doing something stupid, if you see a video of somebody doing something stupid with autopilot or any other, partially automated system you know i mean most it's mostly tesla owners that are doing these these videos but you know if, if somebody's doing it with a volvo with pilot assist or a mercedes or a cadillac you know please click on the the report button on that video on, on every video on youtube there's a button to report you know inappropriate content click on that and report those guys let's let's get them pulled off of there you know let's not let's not let them get ad dollars for doing idiotic stuff yeah i mean end of rent (laughs) but i I was having this conversation with uh with a colleague today he was talking about autopilot and i was like you know and i think i've seen you you post this uh recently too is that the more time i spend with these these adas systems the the less i think we should be selling them um because they set up this. Well, uh, let me you know let me make a distinction there. You know, um, the the you know what we call partially automated systems. You know uh, that are designed to uh, you know combine both um, speed control and steering control, uh, like Super Cruise, like uh, Volvo Pilot Assist, Autopilot, uh, Mercedes Intelligent Drive. As, as you said, the more t- the more time I spend with them, the the more inclined I am to think that we should not be selling these to consumers because regular people, you know, tend to get overly comfortable with these systems. And then they start doing things that go beyond the limit, the capabilities of the system. And that's, what's going to get them into trouble. Yeah. Well, beyond the, the, the more basic, you know, things like automatic emergency braking, um, you know, blind spot monitoring, uh, you know, uh, even lane keeping systems, I'm fine with those, you know, adaptive cruise control. I'm fine with those. I think those do provide some real benefits, but it's the, the higher level systems that I'm troubled by until we, until we get to fully automated systems, you know, those intermediate systems I think are, are, are increasingly a bad idea. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and what really drove it home was the, the BMW 740E, you know, it's systems are, they're, they're pretty good. Um, it, it stays in the lane. It, it does this, this disconcerting sort of oscillation between, you know, uh, from, from sort of the left edge of the lane to the right, as it's keeping an eye on the, the lane markings, but it generally, you know, you keep your hand lightly on the wheel and it, it will drive for you. You can get used to that sensation and it will no longer be dis, disconcerting. And it works great right up until the time that right. it doesn't. And you won't be paying attention. You, you'll like, you'll get used to it and you'll, you'll tune out and you know, it's, it's pretty easy, you know, phone, phone fits in the palm of your hand. You just keep one hand on the wheel. You got the other hand looking at the phone. You're not looking at the road because the car is driving itself for the most part. It'll beep at you if it needs your attention, except for that situation where it doesn't beep and it still needs your attention. So it it, it freaks me out. Um, and and I, I don't I don't think it's you know casting aspersions or saying like no people are dumb. No people are people, and they're just gonna, they are going to get comfortable with it. And and that's it's not good or bad it just is like that's how how it's going to work and i i don't i don't think we we really should be encouraging that i think it's it's sort of a bridge too far because there's no there's no real way 
I, at this point, with, with the systems we have, to make it safe enough to account for for uh, sort of uh, human nature, I, I think. Um, you know, I, I guess the, the sort of the same argument goes for really high power cars winding up wrapped around stuff too. So I maybe maybe I should be careful what I wish for. <laughs> um yeah but well anyway <laughs> uh en- enough of that yeah let's let's go to some lighter fare uh like okay. we had a couple of questions we we teed up this one from last week where uh peter from bavaria uh wanted to know if there'll be a market for uh some kind of defeat device or uh uh f- fraudulent uh, software ability in the future to uh get the self-driving car off the hook um, if it does something like, uh, you know, injure or kill a pedestrian, you know, hit, hit somebody or, uh, you know, something like that. Uh, so that, that's his question. And that was kind of interesting given where we were, uh, last week and the week before with, um, with the, the latest high profile incident from, from Uber. Yeah. I mean, sadly, I think the answer is almost certainly yes. Um, yeah, what, uh, I wouldn't say that there will necessarily be a, a market because I think the reality is that um, individuals will almost certainly not be owning most of the vast majority of these vehicles you know, with automated systems. They will, they will be, you know, owned by mobility fleets. You know, they'll, they'll be, they'll be certain owned by fleets, you know, that you subscribe to them or, or use them on an ad hoc basis, you know, rather than owning them. Um, so, you know, it won't be individuals that would be in the market for, you know, some sort of defeat device. Um, but that said, you know, given the, the liability concerns, I think there's also a distinct possibility that at least some manufacturers might be tempted to do something like this. You know, if there's going to be part of a fleet like that, um, I'm not one to sort of argue for a surveillance state either, but we do it already with commercial airplanes and I think all airplanes generally, they all have transponders on them. So couldn't you mimic that with, with, uh, mobility fleets? Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, these, these vehicles will have, you know, I think we'll, we'll need to be recording some data. Uh, there'll, there'll be some data logging that, that goes on. Um, and you know, um, Mobileye, uh, Amnon Shashua, the, the founder and CEO of Mobileye, uh, you know, uh, he and a couple of his colleagues published a paper several months back, um, on, you know, this concept of, uh, uh, response, uh, Resp- uh, what they call it. It was an RSS model, responsibility, safety, um, assurance model, something like that. Uh, but basically the, the idea is that um, you could come up with a formula that you could, you know, take the, the, uh, the input data, you know, from the, from the sensors of what's being detected and you can ensure that first of all, that you know an automated driving system will never execute a command that causes an accident that puts it at fault uh you know and then the second thing is when there is an accident you know if you have the data that's been logged you can run it back into such a formula and determine you know conclusively who who was at fault and um you know I, i'm not 
a hundred percent sure that something like that would actually be workable. But I, I think that there, you know, there's some interesting possibilities. And I think, you know, if we're logging the data on all these cars, I think we can certainly go back and analyze and, and figure out what happened and figure out if, if the vehicle, if, if a problem with the vehicle was the, the key to it, or if it was something else, um, you know, and so I think we, we will need to, we will need to be uh, tracking all this stuff going forward. And, you know, if the vehicles are part of a fleet rather than individually owned, you know, then I think it's oh, the responsibility sensitive safety model is what it was called. Fancy. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll put a link to it in, in the uh, show notes, but you know, I think, that you know we'll we'll definitely have to do something like that and and we'll have to be monitoring these vehicles um you know to make sure that you know nobody is you know kind of working around the rules yeah um i was also just thinking tonight as i drove to the grocery store how nice it would be to just not have this car centric kind of thing it would be nice to just stroll down the street just a little bit in a city designed around people and not cars. But that, that'll never oh, happen. You Luddite. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, you should check out the Luddites. The Luddites were not, uh, they were not opposed <laughs> to technology. They were opposed to poorly implemented technology. So I'm down with that. <laughs> I, I can definitely agree with that. <laughs> All right. And and it's not you know it's not like uh, you know we don't have plenty of poorly implemented technology. Clearly. <laughs> um, all right. Next next thing. I guess this was more for you too. But uh, uh, potholes. Well, you have potholes in oh, Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, all our roads are potholes. We kind of have roads in between the potholes. Ah, okay. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Um, yeah. So uh, so so David. Um, sending this this question, you know, said the problem is not the potholes; it's the cursed low-profile tires. The eighty series tires could handle some amazing abuse, especially if on steel rims which bent instead of breaking. Uh, racing cars don't seem to find any advantage in low-profile tires. Why do we have them except to inconvenience people and sell some more wheel, tires and wheels? Um, well, first of all, not that doesn't apply to all racing cars. You know, there there are. Like F1 cars tend to have have tended to have uh, higher profile tires over the years, but in a lot of other series they they've gone with lower profile tires. And one of the you know originally when we start when back in the late 70s early 80s when we started having this shift towards lower profile tires, the driving factor for it was to provide more room for the brakes, right? You know, to put bigger brakes. Well, it in came there. right out of racing. It came out of a uh, one of the touring car championship series where the wheel diameter was limited. Um, right. So no matter what, you know, uh, what width tire you had on there, you could only have a certain diameter and you, you, the only way then to put larger brakes on it was to go lower and lower profile, put a larger wheel on there and, and fit larger brakes behind it. And that, you know, looked, looked cool on the race cars, I guess. So people decided they wanted it on the street cars and, and the same thing works on street cars. You were, you're, you're, overall diameter remains the same, but you can put a, a bigger brake behind it, which I, I agree with David to a, to a large degree. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, we, a lot of cars, you know, have gotten to, you know, ridiculous extremes with low profile tires. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there's no reason for most mainstream cars to have 35 or 40 series tires. But a on 50 them. series uh, is a definite improvement over an 80 series, like 80 series. You can feel oh, yeah. them wrap up as you turn. 
Yeah. You know, a, you know, a, a lower profile tire, you know, is the sidewall is going to be a lot stiffer. Um, you know, it's going to handle a lot better. It's going to br- have better braking capability um, because you're going to get less distortion of the of the tire. Um, you know, on the, the flip side, you know, it also means your ride quality is going to be degraded. Um, and, you know, the other, you know, another disadvantage of going to big wheels with low profile tires is the, the, com- the combination of the wheel and tire tends to be heavier. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that that also has a negative impact on both ride quality and handling because it increases your unsprung mass. Uh, so, you know, there, there there's you, there's kind of a sweet spot in there, you know, and I think, you know, Something like, you know, on, on most cars, something like a 16 to 17 inch wheel, you know, with, uh, you know, a 65 to 55 series tire is probably about as low as you want to go, you know, and, and you know, maybe even a little bit taller than that, you know, maybe a 60 to 65 series yeah. tire, you know, is probably the kind of the sweet spot there. But, you know, I mean, a lot of people do it, you know, a lot of the cars that have, you know, a lot of the vehicles, and it's not just cars, but, you know, utilities and, and trucks that have these low profile tires. It's it's more for visual impact than for anything, um, you know, functional. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, it is a cooler look, you know, to have that big wheel in there. But, you know, I, when when we bought our car last year, when we bought our Civic, you know, we specifically opted for the Civic EX uh, hatchback instead of uh, the Sport because um, the, the Sport is on 18-inch wheels with lower-profile tires, and the EX is on 17s with you know slightly taller tires. Yeah. And you know, we you know having having bent a couple of rims on you know previous cars, you know. I decided that, you know, we should go with the 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 slightly smaller wheels with with taller tire sidewalls uh, to help absorb some. Yeah. Of that. And it was the same choice I made with um, with the Grand Cherokee. Uh, we got the, the limited. And one of the things that is an option on the limited are the, the 20 inch wheels and tires. And they do handle a little crisper. They turn in a little crisper. Um, but honestly, it's not a big difference and i don't think in a vehicle like that uh it's necessarily a bad thing to to soften up that that response and actually have a little bit more body roll sort of just to, to mentally mess with your or to mess with your inner ear to keep you out of trouble <laughs> like maybe you shouldn't drive it like a sports car smart ass um so i personally i didn't want to be buying 20 inch tires I didn't want to deal with the the weight, like like you said, just that that extra unsprung mass because um, you feel it from behind the wheel. Uh, and I had had Volvos with alloy wheels, 16 and 17 inch alloys on, on those um, for decades at that point, at least 10 years. I never had a set that was all straight. And I even had a set trued. They were never perfect. Um, and I got so tired of just beating all kinds of compliance into the 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 tie rod ends and the, the, you know, the hubs and stuff as the, you have that one wheel that's not quite round, no matter what you do. Uh, I got, I got really sick of that. So it's like, you know what? No, we're going to go with the 18s. It's going to ride better. The tires are going to be a little less expensive. It's going to be, um, you know, a little lighter that, that works for me. And that, that's been a good choice. And, and, uh, you know, I really fell in love with the steel wheels on the Volvos. <laughs> I went to winter tires because <laughs> you could put those things like you, you could drive across the worst roads 
and and with the winter tires too they were a little squishier and they had a, a higher sidewall i generally went down a wheel size where i could and up a, a side you know up a um an aspect ratio uh to to get the uh the right size for the winter tires and so they they rode a little softer a little little nicer so i mean everything david says is true <laughs> Up yeah, to up a point. point. I mean, you know, you you, you can't use you know eighty series uh, tires on on fourteen inch uh, steel wheels. You know, if you want to have fifteen inch brake rotors with six piston, you know, Brembo calipers. True. I mean, braking's overrated. You, know, you, you, you got to give them some room. Yeah. I. You know what would be hilarious though is a Miata on tires like a Spitfire had, <laughs> <laughs> like little thirteen inch wheels. It's like oh yeah, that would that would just look uh, it would silly. Be awesome. It would be terrifying and awesome. So greasy yeah. everywhere. <laughs> you like you look at the pictures of older sports cars like that cornering, like an MGB or something, and the tires just like folded under. <laughs> You're just like, how is how it's cornering on the sidewall? <laughs> or or on the wheel itself. Yeah. Um we've come a long way. I've, I've been there. I've 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 I've, seen, I've done that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you had a Fox Bunny Mustang. Oh, you had a five liter. Yeah. So it was, it was a five liter. And, you know, it, it was actually the first Mustang with 16 yeah, inch wheels. It had alloys. Did it have, were those the yeah. ones with all the, the holes all the, way, all the way around? Or? It was it was it, it was a 91 with the uh, the 16 inch uh, five spoke alloy. Oh, wheel. yeah. Those were nice wheels. Yeah, they were. It was a good looking wheel. Yeah. That was the first year that they that they went to 16s. Up to that point, they had 15s on the on the gts and the five liter lx so but uh yeah enough yeah. of that uh so yeah no in in general you know taller sidewalls um you know up to a point you know i think there's you know you got to find a balance between you know getting good driving dynamics you know but also having enough compliance you know to absorb you know some of the the road impacts you know absorb pothole impacts and um and just you know generally you know uh give you some decent ride quality, you know, so that you're not, you know, pounding your, your spine into submission every time you go for yeah, a drive. You can just move somewhere with better roads <laughs> and then yeah, you can take advantage of it. I mean, I hear South Africa actually is, uh, has quite good roads. That's what I hear. Okay. <laughs> you're not going to find it on the North American continent. Our roads are garbage. They're, they're no good. Uh, there's, there's some pretty nice roads in California. Are there? Okay. Oh yeah, there's. I mean, there's 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 actually some surprisingly bad roads, but <laughs> there's some nice roads out there. Um, all right. Well, I think we've done a podcast. Yeah. Uh, oh, one 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 more thing. It, this 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 can be really quick. Why is everybody okay. complaining about the new Camaro, the 2019 Camaro, the one LE? I don't know. It, it looks fine because people people like to complain. It, does it look weird to you? It looks fine to me. No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I you know I think. The, the the 18 you know looks maybe a little bit cooler but i'm, I'm fine with it i can i can right. live with it, it it doesn't you know it's a camaro what do you expect from a camaro like, you expect it yeah. to look good <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a camaro it's fine all right I just, again just thanks for the gut yeah. check all right uh this has been wheel bearings uh 64 so we'll be back again next week in the meantime you can hit us up on the social media on, on Twitter. You're Sam of Will Samid. I'm Boston underscore auto. Uh, we are also at wheel bearings with uh, no vowels, except for that last A. And um, we're, we're wheel bearing media on Facebook. And uh, we have a Gmail and stuff. You can just go to the website, wheelbearings.media. Find all the ways to get in touch. And until next week, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks.
See ya. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.